Welcome to the Productive Ministry Podcast, episode number four, featuring Will Warfel from Bridgeway Church in North Texas. There's a lot going on in this episode today. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you're listening, and I'm so grateful for everything that you do every week to make ministry happen. Today, we're going to be talking about how Will's desire to do music with a message ultimately led him to worship ministry. We're discussing topics like why it's important that worship leaders are also pastors. We discuss the superficial struggle of worship ministry and having standards in churches. We talk about all this and so much more. Thank you again for taking time to be with us today. I hope you enjoy it. Our guest today is Will Warfel, who works at Bridgeway Church. Where is that? Yeah, the Flower Mound, Highland Village, Texas area. That's good. How long have you been working at Bridgeway? It's been a while. I definitely um, longer than some of the other jobs I've worked. Uh, I've been here uh, since uh, February of 2010, so right around seven years. So you're not a rookie. I I guess not. Sometimes I feel like one still, but um, that's part of the game, I guess. Absolutely. That's the difficult part about working in any sort of ministry, I think, is that everything is constantly changing. There's always a new trend to follow or a new skill to learn or a new technology, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. In a lot of ways, you know, in a lot of ways that feels like it moves a little bit faster, even in the music and leading worship. Out of all the ministries you could have picked to go into, why did you choose worship ministry? Well, for me, it wasn't something that I initially started out doing. I knew I wanted to be in ministry. I I grew up in ministry. My uh, father was a preacher for forever. It was his career. And I knew that from an early age, just catching some of that teaching, developing in my faith, that I wanted to be in ministry in some way, shape, or form. And then I also knew that I enjoyed music, singing, playing, different things like that. But it didn't really come together for me until after I had graduated from Bible college, um, my whole focus going through Bible college, I thought I was going to end up in uh, children's ministry. I was working in the church in that in that ministry, in that role, and but was doing music on the side, kind of, um, yeah. both in the church and also uh, with a band where we played just recreationally. I heard a rumor about <laughs> that. I heard that you guys opened for Bon Jovi one time. Yes, we always. Yeah, that's one you always want to let someone else bring that up, or else you sound arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was that all about? Well, part of that recreational band, you know, my wife and I were in that band together. She was. What, what is the name? Hollow. We're on Hollow, Facebook. Are you, are you available on iTunes? <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe I don't know. Facebook's <laughs> probably the better way. We're not currently recording stuff. I should say. Okay. That. Okay. But yeah, so. That was, you know, a ministry in and of itself. That was kind of separate from church, but it was like we wanted to do an outreach to people, to unchurched people. And we were developing music with a message and wasn't um, overtly Christian. We wanted that to come more through relationships and stuff. So we were entering all types of contests, secular and Christian, and got a lot of opportunities to open for some some cool Christian bands, but also we won a, a contest to get the opportunity to open for Bon Jovi when they went on tour through Oklahoma City. So that was pretty cool. We got to 
meet them and do that whole experience, but also make some contacts in the local radio stations for Oklahoma City, which was pretty cool. It sounds like a, a great experience. One thing that stood, stood out to me is that you said that you wanted to do music as ministry, but not worship, right? But so you're just focusing mm-hmm. on like lyrics or... Yeah, really the what songs we're saying, we, if you're making music in the the Christian industry, obviously there's a lot of language that you can pull from that's going to be recognized by people. Church language seems like everything is about breaking chains and waves and oceans these days. Yeah. Or staying out in the rain or lots (laughs) of water, lots of water when you're in the church. Exactly. So, you know, there's, I say that to say there's language in the Christian music world that's going to be picked up by some people that makes it identifiable as this is a Christian song or this is Christian music for hollow the band. We were focused on making positive music about relationships, not necessarily coming out and saying this song is about our relationship with God, but stuff that would say, you know, there's hope in this life. There's good things that are available to you. Not really incognito, but kind of about faith and about seeking a power that's greater than yourself kind of deal, which I think that's something that people were able to catch on to and, and see in our music. And we had opportunities to tell people when they would ask us point blank, we were able to say, you know, I wrote this about my faith and wrote this about my relationship with God. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Do you carry that over into your, your worship ministry now, that attitude? Most definitely. Yeah. And if anything, I, I think it does carry over into church music because you still have that aspect of of lyrics of songs that are going to mark it as a Christian song, but also don't give the full explanation of what a relationship with God might be per se. You're you're dropping in scripture, you're dropping in church type language, but really what's going to bring that to understanding for someone needs a little more explanation, needs a little more direction. And that's going to be done through a conversation or through studying God's word. And for me, being able to have an aspect of, of my job, it's the worship minister as a pastor is really important, really critical to, to the position before you go to, you know, the strength of your music or, whether one song is better or another, the way things flow, things like that. Pastoring people as a worship minister is just as important, if not more important, than leading them in song. That, that's interesting. This is a concept that's completely new to me. Worship, pastor, like pastoring people, what does that look like? I think it takes on a lot of different shapes and forms. Obviously, it's going to be different depending on what your group is like. But to me, it means getting into people's lives, getting um, into what the the heartbeat of your church is. Something that my wife says a lot when we approach writing worship music, she says, we want to write the prayers of our church. And so that, that entails getting in there and learning what your people are about, what they are most likely to respond to. And... For a lot of people, that can be a challenge because in ministry, we want to 
preserve and protect and please. So there's an aspect of if I can keep things um, at arm's length and not have to get too much into it, then I'm going to be safer. I'm going to be able to do what I want to do versus, you know, something that might not be what I want to do. And getting into that, like any other relationship, you get into a relationship and you're opening yourself up to help someone or to provide for them. You're also on the other side, potentially opening yourself up to hurt or to be uh, betrayed or whatever you might perceive, you know, you let somebody in, then your, your defenses go down a little bit, you know, for me digging in, it starts with the people that I'm, that I'm doing song leading with. I want to get into the lives of the people that are leading alongside me. So whether that's another band member, uh, a vocalist, a sound guy, whatever that is, I want we expect each other to be in the trenches together on Sunday morning. We should do that in everyday life too. Right. Um, after all, worship is a lot of times described as not just what we do in song, but what we do every day. In worship ministry, I hear that over and over. Worship isn't just singing. Well, of course it's not just singing. So let's get in there and do a little bit more than than just sing with the people that we're leading in worship. There's a lot of pretense sometimes in ministry. How do you make yourself vulnerable enough to allow people to see behind the curtain? Um, I think it starts with humility and being open to uh, receiving what other people are going to tell you. Um, right. And that's another difficulty that can can arise in worship ministry is, you know, not being able to accept criticism for something that you've played or a song selection you made or uh, a decision within the group, but being humble enough to allow people to speak into you, allow people to give suggestion, give direction is going to, going to go a long way in how people receive you. That's something that I think genuineness and humility and that things like that is something that's really caught by people. It's something that people can pick up on a lot, especially generations of people today. We're exposed to all kinds of media, all kinds of marketing, and we become experts as a society at um, seeing through something that's not real and seeing through, you know, a fake presentation. So right. I think I think we've become really good at seeing, okay, this is this guy's heart is really in what he's doing. He's genuine about it. I'm going to listen to what he has to say, or I'm going to join in with what they're doing. I think that's something that worship leaders can connect with other people at the same level that they are being genuine, at the same level that they're bought into what it is that they're doing. That's got to be, you know, beyond just the music. If if I'm leading a song I'm excited about, or it's something that I'm pushing that I that I want to do, am I going to be as bought in and genuine as I would be if I was saying I'm approaching this as a service to God? I'm I'm giving God my my adoration. Uh, so that's yeah. I think the level of humility and and genuineness that you put into something is gonna gonna go a long way to opening other people up to relationship with you and, and, and working together. That's a little different than what we normally hear. Uh, I, you probably read the newspaper and I think I recently just read in particular, one person who got kicked out of the worship band for being too fat or 
<clears throat> Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, I don't know the specific story, but yeah, I, I've heard stories like that. Yeah. And worship industry is very difficult because it seems like because of the level of talent that has to exist, that sometimes there can be a super superficiality to it. Yeah. I- yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I have, you know, multiple stories. I'm sure other guys that are in worship ministry do of people on their team that were told, you know, from another, just by example, I have one guy that is pretty accomplished and has a high skill level was told by another church that he didn't have the look that, um, that they were going for something that really, you know, hurt his, hurt his feelings and, you know, put him in a place where, okay, now we've got to do some, some healing. He's put up some defenses and things like that to where, you know, that really can do a lot to, to hurt a person and to hurt their, their self-confidence and whether or not they've, you know, it ultimately can affect their calling. Am I really called to do this? If somebody told me that, you know, I don't look right or don't act right. But yeah, that stuff is, is absolutely out there. Is it wrong for churches to have standards then? Oh, no, not at all. I think that there's a, uh, a balance between, you know, ability. A lot of worship guys call that excellence and right. competency, there needs to be a balance between that and someone's chemistry with the rest of the group, how they interact with other people, ultimately their passion and calling to do that, leveraging the amount of talent that someone has and and putting that to use in the correct place within ministry, right? Um, within their um, their skill set, within their um, their level, and sometimes that means. You know, worship worship guys are creating spots for administrators to do things and help with paperwork um, so that they're still a part of the, the worship ministry, maybe not as much up front um, as the person that's gifted to be in, and passionate about being in that uh, in that role. I mean, it's a touchy subject. You don't you don't want to reject people, but especially in worship ministry, I think, and sometimes in teaching ministry too, you get this a lot where people definitely have a passion for doing it, but they don't have the skill set for doing it. You end up with people who can't sing, um, but and then they're just like, oh, we'll we'll just make a joyful noise to the Lord, right? And, you know, and sometimes you you have to say to people like, well, I know you really want to be involved in this. Um, I've had to say to, to teachers before, you know, there are there are lots of different kinds of spiritual gifts, right? And maybe, you know, maybe teaching is not your spiritual gift, but just because you can't teach doesn't mean that you can't serve. Absolutely. Yeah. And the difficult conversations still happen there. You know, it'd be all sunshines and rainbows if everybody that came through sounded like amazing and was a huge talent. I think what a lot of people can learn when maybe those difficult conversations arise is that the only aspect to worship ministry is not um, just playing in the band or singing from the front. There's a whole slew of other things that maybe somebody is more gifted in or more readily able to be placed in. But yeah, those, those tough conversations are definitely there. And the arts, I don't know why artists are sensitive sometimes, but right. <laughs> there is a, uh, a need for delicacy there, you know, so that you're not 
crushing someone's hopes and dreams <laughs> to be the yeah. next American Idol or whatever it might be. Well, I mean, and then on American Idol, you have those people who have been told they can sing their entire life and then find out in front of 20 million people that they can't. Right, right. And this is a small thing, but something we do that that I think helps us in that is make the environment for practice and rehearsal and try out as, as laid back as possible. Yeah. Part of that is just my leadership style. I'm a really laid back person in general, but when we, I always call our rehearsals during the week, open rehearsals so that anybody can come and hang out and get a look at the music and see what we're doing. And what I've found is that more often than not people that might think, they have it or might think they're able to do something, I invite them and say, hey, come on to this open rehearsal. We're just going to hang out and play. They'll get a chance to see firsthand what types of musical conversations we're having as far as theory and skill level. And they'll see some of that played out in people. A lot of times I'll see somebody will come thinking they've got it together and they're ready to jump in. They'll see a rehearsal and kind of think, oh, maybe I've got some work to do or they can see this is maybe a higher level than where I'm at. They can make the decision themselves whether they're going to continue coming and jumping in or maybe develop a little bit more, see if there's a place where we can plug them in where they can develop a little bit. Yeah. And you created an environment where that is conducive to that, that seeks out recruits trains. Yeah, absolutely. As, as I wish we could do more to train and recruit people. And probably a lot of guys do, in all areas of ministry, but having those types of avenues where people can jump in and and play and develop, whether it's for us, it's at different levels. We do the open rehearsal, like I said, but we also have a, a, a jam session during the week where you know, students who are learning an instrument or um, adults who want to work on some of the songs that we do regularly, they can come in and play in the band format with everybody and, you know, all the parts of the band and get a feel for some of the music and things like that. And then kind of build from there into playing in our a student service or on a Wednesday night service for our youth. And ultimately the the highest level being the Sunday morning where we want to make where we want to get our best people in there as often as possible. You talked earlier about being a pastor. And being a pastor first, right? Before being a musician, you're a pastor. Mm. And before being the the upfront guy, it's all about the vulnerability and the relationships. And what is it that is the goal there? What are you hoping to see in people's lives as a result of your pastoring them? Yeah, I think the goal is to follow what what scripture calls us to, to becoming a disciple of Jesus. In some cases, uh, leading people to Christ for the first time, we've had some people in our in our band that we were able to baptize them into Christ for the first time, and that's you know amazing. But ultimately, uh, training uh, up disciples of Christ to grow in their faith, and then to grow into um, being shepherds themselves. Uh, so you let non Christian people in your in your worship band. Um. Not as a practice, <laughs> but it has happened before. You know, most recently we had a guy that uh, we needed somebody to fill in. This happens, I think, more if you have a, a band, 
right. where you've got spots you've got to fill every week. A lot of guy worship guys will peruse Craigslist for people that have you know posted their musical talents for hire. And I've looked at that stuff before, um, but you go through you know these pathways. So it's like a lot of churches they will hire instrumentalists to play for their Christmas cantata or their Easter cantata. You're just looking to to fill a specific need. Yeah, and for us that happens only strictly on a fill in basis, like when it's absolutely necessary. Like you know it's Saturday night and your drummer's sick and he can't make it and you're not able to get a hold of anybody else kind of thing. Oh, I see. So if you have the resources to do that and pay someone, then uh, we'll definitely pull a guy in that hadn't been to church in 20 years and just mm. a friend of a friend, but we really needed somebody to play. So from the get go, we're working on him and, you know, saying, Hey, you know, this is for a purpose. We're leading in worship. We're drawing people into a relationship with Christ. Uh, what's your relationship with God and the church, like all while we're, you know, leading other people. And that can be a, a point of contention for some, some guys, if your heart's not in it at all, then we don't need you to be on stage in that particular circumstance. And some others, you're not going to have that conversation unless that person is on stage with you. It was just an opportunity. And sometimes those present themselves in uh, through the guys that, that you're using to play. So would you rather have talent or conviction? Um, well, I think I'm going to go with conviction. That's always going to come across more when we talk about being genuine and being humble. That's going to be something that will, in my opinion, communicates the gospel better than playing without mistake or having a high level of excellence. The idea being that, you know, even if there was no band, no musical person present, we're still going to be able to worship God in song and lift our voices. Um, I think we see that in Scripture. But we also see in Scripture people who are selected because of their ability and because of their skill in leading worship in the Old Testament specifically, where people are playing and, and leading the the nations in skillful worship. So there's it goes back to that balance a little bit. But um, I think that as far as what people will get on board with and follow in worship leadership is the heart and the level of commitment and, and being genuine. How do you keep your team humble? Just constantly ragging on them about how flat they are. <laughs> no, um, the first the first way to do that is you know do everything you can to model that um, right. humility yourself as the leader. Also, working to keep egos in check. A lot of times, you can run into people that are used to being on stage or have been on stage more than another, so they'll have recommendations or want to show how. I've done this before and this amount of time in the studio and, you know, we know how to, I know how to do this kind of thing. And uh, keeping that in check is important to keeping the group as a whole humble and having a clear picture of where we're going and what the purpose is for what we're doing because of the performance aspect that's involved in, in music and being on stage, people can get to a point where they are feel like they 
either deserve more, they have claim to more, they're better, whatever you want to call it. The job of the worship leader and the worship uh, team is to point others to God and and not necessarily point to themselves. So that's the as as much as you can make that picture clear. I think that helps keep the team humble. Absolutely. So, what's the most humbling thing that's ever happened to you? Well, there's definitely the uh, the train wrecked song that a lot of <laughs> that people have, <laughs> um, and obviously the worst of that is you know if you have to like your your Mariah Carey on New Year's Eve moment. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and it's there's you know it's gone wrong, and there's nothing you can do but just stop. I wish I could say that's never happened to me, but it's happened even recently, even at our Christmas Eve services, we had a a technical glitch with the microphone and something that never, ever happened before with our wireless mics. But I go up to, we've already started playing the song. Everybody's with us, you know, candlelight kind of deal. And I step up to the microphone and there's no sound coming out. And I'm trying to sing and, you know, it, it kind of goes on for that awkward oh my gosh. Uh, 15, it 20 feels, seconds. <laughs> your face is getting hot. Yes, exactly. Oh, so terrible. In those moments, that's, you know, that it's, you're not in control and that the God's going to work in spite of what control you've tried to place on stuff. Sometimes it's a, re- a reminder of what you're doing there, you know, pointing to God instead of to yourself. Right. Um, beyond that, you rely on the spirit's leadership to mop up the mess in a way that doesn't look terrible. <laughs> that yeah. you're not you're not turning to your guitar player and cussing him out or anything but yeah. in front of everybody. But you're you know graceful about that and uh, as humble as possible. So yeah, that man, that's something you never want to happen to anybody, um, especially yourself. But when it does, you. Just grin and bear it as best you can. There's a lot of times, I'm sure preachers experience this too, or, um, you know, you come away from something and you think, oh man, I totally laid an egg and it was awful and I missed this part and that didn't go right and it didn't flow. And then you start hearing from the people in the church that are worshiping with you or listening to what you're saying. And they're like, man, that's the best I've ever heard. <laughs> oh, and you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. No way. And then no, on the flip side, like- on the flip side, you feel like you, this is adds to the humility deal. Sometimes you feel like you knocked it out of the park and it was yeah. awesome. And then it was just, the review is just kind of less than stellar. <laughs> yeah. And then there is those times where what you're doing genuinely feels like worship. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't even matter. And even for me as a preacher, there are times where my sermons feel as if they transcended. It's not just about the words or just about the text, but suddenly I'm worshiping God in that moment. And I imagine that you feel you have the honor and the privilege of being able to feel like that quite a bit, right? Yeah, definitely. And it creates a little bit of a sensitivity to the spirit and the way that it's working and it's a one of the i think greatest blessings of leading in worship is that you get to see that part of people's journey in their relationship with god you can see when people are broken and you can see when people are exalting god you can see when there's pain in exalting god one of the songs we used to sing a lot talks about Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know probably what I'm talking about. But one of the lines in that song is when there's pain in the offering, 
um, I think it's one of the most powerful things uh, in that song and a, a good example of of worshiping alongside other people because you can see when people are hurting and when they've brought their burdens to God, sometimes that's that's painful to do. Um, the release of something you've been holding on to is painful, but to see that people do that and release that, that's uh, that's pretty neat. And I feel like it's something that is expressed often in worship, um, even though right. we might not catch it every single time. That's what, uh, obviously why we keep doing what we're doing and, and do the, the best to let the Spirit lead. We're not going to be able to see every bit of what God is doing in that, but we're going to make sure that that you're available for that to happen, that you're not slipping in any way or that you're not focusing too much on yourself or drawing too much toward yourself instead of to, to what God's going to do in those moments. It's the challenge of being, being on the stage and invisible mm-hmm. while simultaneously leading, right? Cause you're, <laughs> you're not leading people to you. You're leading people to God. Yes. Yes. It's crazy. Isn't it? <laughs> pers- yeah, it is. It's insane. Have you ever pursued someone? Have you ever seen someone, uh, experience that release or you know that they're struggling and and you're in worship and they're in worship and the Spirit's also tugging in your heart about that person? Have you pursued someone afterwards? Definitely, yeah. And that's that um, is kind of the continuation of building relationships, pastoring, shepherding people. There was, just by example, a lady a while back, an older lady in our church that had a son in his early 40s and just out of nowhere um, had a negative reaction to some antidepressant medication and committed suicide. Wow. And it was something that we knew was going on. We're just in prayer with her, grieving with her through the whole deal. The first Sunday that she came back after after the funeral, being with the family and all that stuff. It was almost like the Spirit ordained that service, that set of, of worship for ministering to her. And wow. it was to the point where people were having to try and push that aside because we knew that we needed to be focusing on God and leading the church, but it was just so strong, that pull. And there were new, you know, numbers of the team that that rallied around her and prayed with her and did all that, you know, straight away after the, it was almost like the service couldn't end soon enough so that we could go and, and continue to, to grieve with her and comfort. And it was just really cool to see God work that way. That's something I think that we see a lot and have to be open to the spirits nudging and leadership into that stuff. Man, I really appreciate you giving me so much time. I want to be respectful of your time and Thank you for helping us out today. I would love it if we could talk more about worship on a later episode. Would you be up for that? Absolutely. Absolutely. We could do a live music version. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Could you you perform the song of... That you pre- played with uh, at the concert with Bon Jovi? Absolutely, yeah. We can we can even call him in. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. We can get lots of. I'm gonna t- I'm gonna put his name in the tags. <laughs> yes, that'll, that'll get. Uh, will be a win win situation. We can throw throw John into the mix. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, Productive Ministry, for the work that you're doing. 
Thank you guys again for listening to the Productive Ministry Podcast today. I hope that you were as encouraged by it as I was. Will Warfel has this incredible vision for ministry and this passion and this call, and it's so evident when you're talking to him. Our interview actually went for over an hour. I know you only got 30 minutes, but it was so incredible. I'm so grateful that he did that with us. Hopefully, we'll have him back on again. I don't know if Bon Jovi's going to make the show, but wouldn't that be cool? Who knows what will happen? Hey, if you want are interested in the show notes, make sure you go to our site, uh, ProductiveMinistry.org. You can check them out there. And while you're there, why don't you subscribe? And then every time we post something, it will show up in your email directly. Wouldn't that be great? If you know someone who would benefit from this episode or would be encouraged by it, or you just really enjoyed it, help us out and forward it to them. Thank you again for everything that you do to make ministry happen in your communities. We really want to be a a resource that encourages you uh, and supports you and uplifts you. And as always, we hope you have a productive week.